Somebody that I was talking with, oh, in my fucking game group, um, Matt, our game master, he was like, all right, here's the thing. Uh, Fifth Element is Mm -hmm. just the end of the Die Hard franchise. (laughs) (laughs) It is just a Die Hard movie. There's pretty much right. There's a hotel. There's a beautiful woman. There's a crisis. There's a bunch of shooting. Like it is literally just, it is the most, (laughs) it is the most diehard film out of all the ones after diehard with a vengeance, according to Matt. Yeah. This is called a cold open. We're doing classic (laughs) cold open. It's good. It's good. You know, people are going to become like really invested in our banter. You think so, huh? Ah, uh, definitely. <laughs> that's what that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, I mean, I definitely am invested in the banter of the podcasts I listen to. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Well. This. But, this is. I. I have this theory hypothesis, working hypothesis that will come up over and over again, uh, which is that like podcasts are just a surrogate for your for your friends, or surrogate for friendship is really what a podcast is. Um, yeah. For a lot of people, cer- certainly for myself in a lot of ways. They're also like fucking miracles for people with ADHD. Like I, it, it's a way to feel like you're having somebody there with you while you're trying to get your chores done. Right. You yeah. know, especially yeah. the more conversational ones, like the, the ones that like kind of go off the rails a little bit. Those are the ones that like I can do the dishes too. Right. For sure. You know. Do you multitask with a uh, book of the new sun? Yes. Podcast? Yeah. Yep. I do. Yeah. I've I love driven it. All, I drove in uh, back and forth to Pittsburgh recently and listened to that <sighs> show the whole way. That sounds terrible. I mean, not the podcast part, the driving part. Oh, I drive a lot. That's okay. Cool. I like it actually. I have, so <laughs> completely off topic, but I have um, like shocker road rage, but it doesn't, uh but it doesn't manifest in um it doesn't manifest in like me driving recklessly it manifests in me just like screaming at the top of my lungs at people but like driving like super calmly Uh i'm just like (laughs) i just scream and like just yeah, I don't, but I don't like honk my horn or like swerve or anything. I just drive like a regular person while I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. It's actually quite cathartic. I was going to say, yeah. Um, Sounds relaxing. Yeah, but I feel like if I did that, I would probably, like if I had to drive for my job, like it either would get like, it would get tired, you know, like I feel like this doesn't really cut the mustard anymore or I'd accidentally scream at the wrong person and then like get run off the road or something right um yeah i find myself like getting tired and just driving very slowly when i'm on the road that's so stressful (laughs) yeah i don't know i would be calmly driving behind you not passing but screaming at the top of my lungs about how you're not going the speed limit i go the speed limit well the okay the posted speed limit is different than like the highway speed limit like it's like 
Everybody oh, knows that you can go 80 even if the speed limit is 65. Well, some of these places have minimum minimum speed limits. That's that's where you know you're with some real slow motherfuckers. Oh, gross. Like in Hawaii, Hawaii has a minimal minimum speed limit, which makes sense cuz people are like truly just like on that island time and just cruising. Yeah. I honestly though can't imagine driving very fast at least like I mean, the only island I've been to is the Big Island, and like I, we took a bus because I, neither one of us had driver's licenses, so we couldn't rent cars at the time. Mm. And even like the roads the buses went on, I was like, the fuck! Like I would not be speeding on those roads. They're like so twisty and turny, and like damp. Everything's damp. Everything is damp. Yeah, and everything's it's a lot of like two lane highways, like just mm-hmm. up and down the coast, right? And yeah, especially the big island, like up into the mountains. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's lovely. It is. That's how we got to the other side because I was there with Sasha and um she was like it was when she was working for Nordstrom and she had to like go and help like set up the new Waikiki Nordstrom that was getting opened. Oh, and crazy. it was like immediately like post-divorce so i was like just like going ham on Mm. anything i wanted to do Mm. and she was like do you want to come to hawaii with me and i was like sure why not and the tickets were like dirt cheap it was insane they were like four hundred dollars yeah and we stayed in a hotel in waikiki and then (laughs) we rented bikes and i was so paranoid about getting sunburned that like I wore so much sunscreen that I didn't even get a tan. I'm, I, I, like I fucking kid you not. I was pissed. Uh, uh, last time we went, which was in March, I put on sunscreen. Rachel went surfing because we just rented one surfboard. We're, mm-hmm. This is in Waikiki. I was sitting under an umbrella the whole time. And then she got back after an hour and I went surfing for like 45 minutes and I was sunburnt, like nasty, nasty sunburn for like four days. Like there was a day in which I was like, I can't, I just have to stay home. I can't go outside. Yeah, dude. Like my friend Cody went hiking in Hawaii and he is like, a, he's a day walker pale. Like yeah. so pale, like so like Northern European, it's painful. Yeah. And he went hiking with like a sun, one of those like sun shirts, you know, the ones that are supposed mm-hmm. to be like sunscreen, but clothing. Yeah. And his back, God, it's so gross. His back got so sunburnt that the skin, when it like raised and oh. he was like it, and he was like sweating. And so he had like, blisters of sweat all over his back because like the sunburn was so bad that like the peeling almost started immediately oh that's awful yeah like so nasty so like i mean i rather would have like you know not i guess not gotten a tan than fucking ended up with that for sure that's horrible that's horrible yeah yeah i just kept thinking about that the whole time i was there i was like sasha you have to put sunscreen on my back (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right well let's talk about movies let's talk about some movies all right this is a podcast it's called we're spanning time my name is bud catino i'm beth martini um yeah nailed it oh we're so good uh so we decided that we were going to i guess we should do a little backstory right right okay so um 
we decided that we were going to do a movie podcast where, you know, we get to talk about films and it gives us a reason to watch them. And the format that we came up with was a year at a time. And the first year we are doing is 1995. Um, You know, we were youths back then. I think I was 10. Yeah. Were you born in 85? Yeah, that's that's about Yeah, I was like 13. Yeah. So, you know, like some of this stuff is highly relatable, but some of it is just a little bit outside of our times, I would say. A bit. But I think like a lot of the stuff was very rentable. Like my parents were kind of strict and it was like PG-13 only or PG or whatever. I was never allowed to rent radar movies. So I think why I have such, I don't know, like, well, there's a lot of these movies that I have never seen because they were like adult movies. But a lot of the ones that I love so much were just accessible, which is why I love the movies from this year so much. Absolutely. I'm I'm like also thinking like. So the really like the only crazy things that really happened in 1995 was the Oklahoma City bombing happened. Right. And um, Michael Jordan came back to the NBA. Oh, from baseball, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, um, the O.J. Simpson trial was happening in 1995. Yep. O.J. Simpson trial was happening. Uh, I believe Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky were secretly having an affair already Ooh. at this time. Uh, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, you know what I also realized? And like, let me just fact check this real fast. Um but and this is something that happened that I thought of while we were, I was watching um, the basketball diaries. But the the shooting at um, Columbine is highly reminiscent of that scene in Basketball Diaries when um, the what's his name. Wow, my brain just stopped working. <laughs> Yo, we're only 15 minutes in. Leo, when Leo is in the yes. heroin-induced yeah, like, dream sequence. Yeah, and he goes in and he's like, I could think of, I thought I could do anything. And I was like, wow, those are some out. that's an outfit he's wearing right there. Yeah, trench coats and uh, yeah. the Trench coat, shotgun. Shotgun, yeah. Boots with like a little heel. I don't know, It was. I was just like... That's kind of weird. He did have boots with little heel. I noticed that as well. I was like, oh, check out that heel. Yeah. It's kind of sexy, actually. Um, Yeah, there was a trench coat mafia at my school, like uh, the year of Columbine. And I I don't know how all these kids knew each other. I mean, they were just like theater dorks, but they all took a big picture together. Um, And they all like wore their trench coats to school. uh, which, Which school was this? University of San Diego High School. Okay, so this was at uni. Yeah. And that was a Catholic high school, wasn't it? Correct. Um, so how did they, did they just like pull them out of their lockers and take the picture and then put them back? Didn't you guys have uniforms and shit? Uh, yeah, but we had this rule in the student handbook that said like, you can, if it's shitty weather or in, whatever, if it's inclement weather, you could wear whatever type of like outer layer, outer jacket you wanted to, which is why I used to wear like a polyester plaid blazer, oversized <laughs> polyester plaid blazer. Of course and, you did. 
And then like the principal and like saw me and just looked at me and just like smirked because he knew that, you know, I was a little shit weasel and I can get away with it. And it was really, you know, nothing he could do about it. Yeah. Yep. Right there. Yeah. My mom used to threaten to send me to uni and I was like, oh, yeah, with what fucking money? Mm hmm. I was unaware that there were like scholarships and stuff. Um, right. But I'm really glad that that, uh, that that particular ultimatum never, never went through. Never came to work. I mean, eh, let's see. You would have been in my brother's class. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. How things would have been different. Do you think we would have been friends? We probably would not have been friends if you went to uni. No, because you were, because you would have been like, you're my brother's age. You're my right. brother's class. I, Definitely wouldn't have hung out with you with like a freshman when I was a mm, junior, I guess it would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. What we know now. No, it's great. Um, I'm like just like checking to see if there's like anything interesting. Holy shit. Amazon sold its first book in 1995. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft came out with, uh, you know, Microsoft 95. Yeah. So it was like, uh, kind of, I mean, there were other, you know, windows platforms before that, but I think that was like, I really, I don't know. I'm not a computer person. That was an important one for what I understand. It was like kind of, it was the beginning of the internet this year, more or less. Yeah, absolutely. as, As we know it. And like having windows on your, being able to be on your home computer, it basically like, it it normalized like democratized all of um like like the computer right like uh, suddenly mm-hmm. everybody could access a computer and figure out how to use it really pretty easily you know like you right. didn't have to know linux or some other like operating system that was written off of code you could just be on a computer yeah you didn't have to like navigate through your file structure from the command line right like going to dos and do that shit yeah all right well bud what order did you watch these movies in well um i thought so i wanted to go gnarly first and i believe i failed uh i i did my my choice didn't really work that way so i went kids basketball diaries empire records um, and I really felt that, uh, basketball diaries was gnarlier than kids in a lot of ways or harder to watch. Um, it was much more visceral. I will it say it was way more visceral. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did kids empire records and basketball diaries. Um, cause I was like, oh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to need a palate cleanser in between yeah. these films. Um, and, and this is your first time viewing kids, correct? Yeah, it's the first time seeing kids and the first time seeing Basketball Diaries. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, how, uh, what, tell me about your relationship to Empire Records. Because <laughs> so you said that this one is in like heavy rotation when you were growing up, right? Yeah. I don't remember the circumstances that I saw it for the first time, but... There was a period after, like, I think after I moved to Seattle, so around 19, that, like, 
either I had it on VHS or we like got it at like a cheap bargain bin DVD situation. But it just became one of those movies that I would put on when I was bored or like it's kind of like how I use podcasts now, right? Like I just mm-hmm. needed something familiar to be on because like I had to try to get something done. Um, it's funny now as a grown woman with like a fairly recent ADHD diagnosis, like looking back and seeing all of the ways that like I coped um, as a, as a young person to try to like make my way through all the times that I failed to live up to my potential. Um, but yeah, so Empire Records, it just like, it struck this like romantic chord in me. Like I lived in the Pacific Northwest record stores were still like a really big deal. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to work at a record store, like all of these things. I mean, records were like a huge part of my growing up in San Diego, even, you know, right. like, um, and so it just had this sort of like quirky romantic nature that kind of just like slowly seeped into my, um, like my personality, I guess. Like one day I looked in the mirror and I was like, Oh my God, I'm literally dressed like Lucas. Like I had (laughs) short, short, dark hair. Um, a uh, like fucking black turtleneck, uh, acid washed vintage Levi's, like um, five uh, seventeens, and a pair, and like I was wearing fucking sambas, yeah. And I was just like, cool, <laughs> like this is this is that's my fashion icon. Apparently, I mean, you you still do, mm-hmm. with just like long hair now, yeah. You- you still rock the black turtleneck and the the black jeans. Yep. I just wear blundstones every day now because I don't like my feet to be wet. Oh, fair. Yeah, blundstones do do an okay job, right? Yeah, they're they're pretty good. Um, but yeah, there's I have this thing like for no reason at all, usually and pretty much typically out of nowhere, just uh the kid, the shoplifter kid will just pop into my mind shouting my name's not fucking Warren (laughs) Uh and like I don't know why I just it just like every once in a while it just pops in and then I'll say it out loud and people will look at me like I'm insane I'll be like "Uh, (laughs) there's too much of a story here um this is uh shit I was just looking him up he's a hunk as an adult that actor Really? Uh huh. What? Uh, Brendan Sexton. I don't. I didn't think that anybody except for Liv Tyler went on to do anything from that movie. Everyone. Everyone went on to do little bitsy things, bits and bobs, more or less. Yeah. I mean, I think some people. Uh, oh were my successful. god! He's uh, oh, good uh, as an adult. We're, we're gonna see him twice uh, this season because he's also in Welcome to the Dollhouse. No shit. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely wild to me. He's he was like in a couple of things that I've seen, and of course, like I can't fucking think of it. Where Did you I pull up a uh, some pics of this guy? Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, he's an El okay, Camino. So, 
Interesting. He was in Russian Doll, which I just watched for the first time recently. Oh, fun. I fucking love that show. Oh, my God. It was so good. Yeah. Um, oh, you're right. He was. Oh, he was. <laughs> it must be a new episode. He was in Drunk History. Um, what the fuck else? Seven Psychopaths. I never watched that. That's eh, OK. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, he's had like a halfway decent career out of everybody from that movie. It's like a working character actor and Mm -hmm. he's fucking been in it since 1995. So good for him. Yeah. Debbie Mazur did a bunch of stuff, too. Oh, I guess Renee Zellweger also had like a career, didn't she? Yeah, she kind of fell off. I think that she either sort of like retired or mm, I don't know. Wasn't there some weird thing where she kind of disappeared and then people were like, oh, she came back and they were like, ugh. Yeah, they were like, that's not your face. That's not your face. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She just aged naturally and people were grossed out by it. Yeah, fucking assholes. Yeah, Debbie Mazur, you see her and stuff. You're always like, oh, that that one lady. Yeah. Exactly. Holy shit, but she's she's been in the business forever. Like she was in Goodfellas. Oh, really? Uh Oh, yeah, she was, wasn't she? Oh, shit. We're going to see her again in Batman Forever. Amazing. If we we choose. Not that we need to do Batman Forever, but if we so Uh, choose. Let us know if you leave a comment. Let us know if you want us to do uh, Batman Forever. Maybe you will want to if we never make it through these uh, (laughs) three movies we're talking about right now. We're already like almost half half an hour into this record, but that's okay. It's fine. We it's fine. We can always edit. So the magic the last, of editing. The, yeah, right. The first time I saw Empire Records, I swear to God, was at Vincent's house, uh, probably in 1995 or 1996. And um, yeah, never again. And so although I, during this movie, I thought that a lot of it was stupid and annoying. Um, mm-hmm. It was also quite uh, nostalgic. And there was just very poignant like bits and bobs that kept on sticking out to me and felt kind of visceral because I did watch it as like, you know, a sweaty 13 year old or 14 year old. Totally. In Vincent's mom's living room. Well, I think that the bit with um, with Deb when they like give her the funeral, mm-hmm. um, you know, like that was pretty, pretty intense for a second, you know, like that wasn't easy for you know i'm sure kids 16 year olds to be like oh man i relate with this <laughs> you know who's your favorite character in this movie um you know i definitely love i definitely do um i God, it's a really hard question, actually, because like I kind of love everybody for different reasons. Sure. Um, this is also like, like a moment when I was like, oh my god, Ethan Embry, he's so cute. Um, but wait, who? Ethan Embry, who plays Mark, he's so stupid oh. and funny. <laughs> I loved him so much. Which is really hilarious in contrast to the crush that I had on Jason Lee in Mallrats, which we will definitely be doing later this season. Oh, absolutely. 
they're like opposite ends of the spectrum. Oh yeah. Scumbags. You know, Absolutely. I do love Robin Tunney's character. Is it Tunney or Tooney? I'm going to say Tunney. Okay. Yeah. Like Deb, she's, she was just very relatable. You know, I definitely can understand what it feels like to like not have your shit together and not have a support system and like kind of lash out in a way. Um, right. Uh, Lucas always holds a special place in my heart because like he had like such good intentions and then just ended up fucking everything up in a way. Right. Um, but yeah, like uh, I think AJ is my least favorite character. Okay. Uh, sure. Liv- you, you wouldn't like uh, an AJ. No. Like he's just so <laughs> fucking, he was just like, so like, I don't know. And the cut that I watched too, I think that it was like a cut for TV or something because like Mm. there was no cursing in it. And I distinctly remember there being cursing, but like, did you, was there any in the one that you watched? Not that I recall. None that stuck out to me. Huh? I, I have this like memory of the scene on the roof between Liv Tyler's character and AJ where mm-hmm. he's like kind of a prick to her about throwing herself at um, Rex Manning and like, Oh God, go no, please continue. Oh, I was just saying like, th- so I have this memory of like him, like kind of like shaming her, but that was not in the version that I watched. And I don't know if I like made it up. That wasn't in the, I didn't, have that take either so you might have just um interpreted it that it. way somehow yeah you might have yeah. interpreted it that way yeah um i mean yeah i, I thought know, like i thought it was very inappropriate uh what his reaction was where he was just like oh you just tried to bone rex manning and you've all feel like really shameful and your sweaters on inside out and your skirt is on backwards um mm-hmm. perfect time for me to tell you that i'm in love with you and i think we should be together you know, like that I mean, That was very inappropriate. It was, yeah, to be f- slightly fair, I, like she hadn't told him that he did that until after he told her that he okay. loved her. Okay, got he it. Was like, I, she was like, I can't do this right now. And instead of just like not being in his own fucking world and his own head and mm-hmm. seeing that like she was not emotionally available, which is like its own problem. Right. Um, I definitely noticed like the problematic male characters in all three movies the most oh sure um because that is kind of like that was kind of a theme um especially like the between kids and empire records like there are a lot of thematic similarities while they were like definitely conveyed differently it was still like really there was like that similarity there of like you know quote unquote virginity and like its importance and like Mm, the mm -hmm. purity of girls and shit like that. And like slut shaming and all of it. Like, yeah, there's, you know, yeah. What is up with the slut slut shaming and especially empire records? It's just like, 
that was a thing that I just could not get on board with or just yeah. didn't doesn't seem compelling to me. It just seemed like incredibly like a two dimensional way to create tension between Gina and Deb or Gina and Corey and Deb. Um, yeah. And it's, well, it's, it's just it's frankly not believable, in my opinion, like that oh, whole dynamic. It's so of the time, though. Yeah, I like, think so. A hundred percent. The number of like the number of girl relationships that I was either a part of or I witnessed where like there was a falling out over like a potential sexual partner and the immediate resort for the hurt person was to slut shame. Mm, Like mm -hmm. it was, it was so prevalent. Like it was Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it happened to me. I probably did it to someone like it was like real. It was a very real thing that happened. And it probably only like the concept of slut shaming didn't even really come into like, you know, conversation. I feel like until after 2010, you know, like and just this like uh, this idea that like a sexually active young woman has no agency and therefore, and, and, and she has to be doing this for attention was like just regurgitated through everything. It was like in the media, it was in, you know, our fucking classrooms. It was in sex ed, you know, like if you, sell the if you give away the milk before you sell the cow kind of shit like Mm -hmm. you know and it was just it was just like ingrained it just was you know i'll uh, one thing i will say for you know the younger millennials and gen z is that they will not tolerate that shit it's actually like incredible how they don't tolerate people tearing each other down yeah and our age group our friend group our generation whatever that is like we weren't quite so generous with people yeah it was an easy way by which i don't know in a weird strange way we could be like divided from each other and uh, frankly have our our growth stunted you know, by that way of thinking, which yeah. honestly came from the media and came from our parents' generation. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Just this idea of like, Oh, I don't even know if women uh, even enjoy sex. And so I guess the ones that do or have sex are, there's something wrong with them and they're yeah, just acting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It became like the go-to way to oppress each other, fuck with each other. Yeah. A hundred percent. Gain power. Yeah. Yeah. Th- <laughs> this, this especially, we're going to pull from our own like teenage uh, memories because you and I grew up as teenagers together also in the same community. Yeah. So this is going to be like a particularly poignant episode, I think. Number one, episode number one. You know, um, gotta, gotta hit the ground running, so to right? speak. Uh, so do you think that like that scene in kids where the girls are talking about, how much they like to have sex. Do you think that sort of juxtaposes with the dynamic that you're seeing in empire records? Well, it's, you know, 
the editing in kids was really interesting because they were doing that like cutaway back and forth between the conversation amongst like the dudes Mm -hmm. and the conversation among the girls. And like, it it was just so funny how diff, like how wrong each, like the guys were about the girls, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like the, the, like, I would say if Gina had been in kids, like if her character had been in kids, she also would have been having that conversation about how much she enjoyed fucking. And like the discussion about like the different types of sex, like there's making love, there's having sex and then there's fucking and they're different things and you do it with different people. Like that's all like real conversations that would have been had. I just don't know. You know, the only part about kids that I found like, slightly unrelatable was the um level of like uh self-awareness that some of them had because Mm -hmm. like i do not remember having that level of self-awareness as a kid you know and they were kids (laughs) it's very shocking yeah but then at the same time we also at least i was that age where I was getting into some shit at that age, like 14, 15, 16, I was wild. And when my, when my little sister tried to pull some shit at that age, I was like, absolutely not. This is unacceptable behavior. Right. (laughs) Like I know what you're doing because I did it and you're less clever about it than I was. And you're getting into more trouble. Like this isn't acceptable. Yikes. (laughs) You know, but I don't know, like that conversation, it was just like, it was just like so weirdly obvious, you know, like it was just like the dudes were like, oh yeah, girls, like they love sucking dick. Like it must be their favorite thing, like this, that, and the other. And then every single girl in that room is like, I fucking hate it so much. <laughs> right. And it's like, right. yeah, of course you hate sucking a 15 year old's dick those dudes don't shower like they eat like shit like it's nasty yeah you know and it's just like it 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 just really highlighted i think like the misconceptions that were sort of fulfilled by gender stereotypes of the 90s you know and like I, i i would assume that at the time that that movie came out those perspectives being just like so blatantly called out would have been like pretty shocking. Um, The version of the film that I watched opened with like the trailer. Um, Okay. And so like the trailer has, and you, this is on Amazon also like the trailer has like all of these like, headlines about the film from when it came out from like New York times and, you know, Vogue and like fucking all this shit. And it's like the most important movie of a generation. Right. Right. I'm just like for whom? (laughs) I I think, um, you know, I think we kind of saw in the 20th century, a lot of firsts, like I think yeah. about John Updike a lot because did you ever read those books like the Rabbit Run books no. by John Updike? Mm-mm. So Rabbit Run is is John Updike's first novel, I think. 
Um, and it's just about this dude who is like middle class life, married to a woman, mid century, and he just r- runs away and takes up with like a local sex worker, and they like live together in a shitty hotel room, and he's just like escaping his uh, boring middle-class uh, American life. And I think that everyone kind of blew their loads over that because it, it's, you know, nothing special and it's actually kind of an icky story. But yeah. I, I think that no one, white people had never even considered uh, this sort of like lifestyle. You know, middle-class white people had never experienced this, considered it, definitely never read about it or watched movies about it. And that's why I think it was like so important for a whole generation of people. Right, right. And I think that, I think that kids kind of plays the same role in a lot of ways. Um, I found it very icky. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know when I first saw kids, uh, probably as an adult, I would be willing to say probably in my twenties. Yeah. Um, and I could not wait for it to be over during this watching. (laughs) I kept on like, you know, putting my finger on the computer to just check and see when it'd be over. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. it made me feel very uncomfortable. It's about a bunch of people who are uh, perfect age to be my children. And it was very disturbing in that sense. Um, yeah. The yeah. like the rape scene at the end was really fucking like I was not expecting that at all. And like I I was genuinely shocked. Genuinely shocked. That. Harmony Corinne made the choice to have Chloe Sevigny not intervene in Mm. that piece of shit, like fucking that girl after she either did or did not get like, it's not, it's not clear that the HIV diagnosis was a hundred percent accurate because the nurse is like, sometimes the tests are wrong. Right. You know, but like the, the lack of, I mean, I'm not surprised because Harmony Corinne has a pretty bad reputation for being a piece of shit. Is that right? Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, like I didn't go, I didn't like do any deep diving, but I definitely remember, especially like when Brown Bunny came out, like that there was like this whole thing because like Vincent Gallo was being shitty. And then they were like, well, is it any surprise? Like he's friends with Harmony Corinne. And there was like all of this like conversation that was going on around like kids and gummo and like that whole like vice era sort of like romanticizing of like being a fucked up teenager and like being poor or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, tangent, but like, you know, the, the, the lack of agency that was written into the script while infuriating was like also kind of painfully, accurate in a way as well like she's fucked up like she is like in it and she feels really super alone and you know she's like looking for this kid for some kind of like something like desperate for any kind of validation in this thing that has happened and then you know because she is in this environment and in this like subculture she gets fucked up um when she goes to like the club and tries to find him so by the time she actually finds him like she's out of like literally out of her mind Mm -hmm. and can't do anything about it it's just like you know and so 
while, you know, a lot of movies would take the unrealistic opportunity to have her get some kind of closure, have her get some kind of like vindication, this movie decided to, you know, say instead that's not actually what would really happen. Yeah, it it felt very accurate to me, like you said, like, um, and I think from a story perspective, I, I mean, I don't know how horrible this sounds, but I'm glad that it happened that way. Like if I were writing this story, I would have written it that way as well. Um, yeah. just cause I mean this for her to like have stopped that, uh, Telly having sex with the next young girl, mm-hmm. uh, and possibly exposing her to HIV. Um, yeah. Like to have like Chloe Savini, um, like stop that. Like, I I don't know, like from the structure, from the perspective of the narrative, like how that would really serve the story at that point. Um, It definitely could have ended there. (laughs) It didn't need to, like, she didn't need to get further, like raped by Casper. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it's like a hat on a hat, but it's, it, 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 that serves the story too. I do think because it because this is just such a clusterfuck and just layer upon layer of nastiness in this movie. Um, what what I thought was like incredibly poignant was like that he while Casper was raping Jeannie, Jenny, um, he kept on putting her arms, her like limp, um, unconscious arms around his body, mm-hmm. um, in order to mask the fact that she was unconscious. Mm-hmm. Which is like so fucking sinister while uh, also juxtaposed with him like repeatedly, like in a very sweet way, like s- telling her his name and being like, oh, it's, it's OK. It's just Telly. It's just telling mm-hmm. him I'm here, you know, which was like, yeah, just um, very crazy. Was he saying it's me, Tully, not it's me, Casper. Oh, I'm sorry. It's me, Casper. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. He was. I, OK, he was saying that. I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I missed that. Um. Yeah, wait, he was saying it's me, Casper. Yeah, he was saying it's me, Casper. Okay. Um, but yeah, that that was just like so extra sinister, that one little like direction to like continually throw her limp arms like around his back was just like so, so gnarly. So like, yeah. so crazy. I, f- I figured out what the thing with Harmony Curran was and I remember it now. It's that he... So he, during the filming of Julian Donkey Boy, he fucking went off of his rocker and like started doing like so many drugs, like all of the drugs. And like the the little blurb that I just found out found was he wound up in Paris doing so many drugs that his teeth fell out. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't realize that he also did Spring Breakers. Yeah. Definitely. Which I never watched. Mm, yeah. I watched it. Of course you could. Just like, yeah. I mean, I watch everything, but uh, yeah, it kind you of just is saw what Avatar it is. in the theater. I fucking saw the first Avatar in the morning, and then I went and saw Avatar that night in the theater. Because that's how Incredible. I roll. <laughs> Incredible. That's how I live my life. Alone. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just like... Did that did that further humiliation need to happen? And it's like, 
no, but semi also yes. Like, because the story isn't about like, the story isn't about like kids having fun. The story is about, it's like, it felt like a cautionary tale for parents. Like that, that's who that film was actually made for. Like, this Mm. is what your kids are doing. Like, look at how fucked up everything is when you don't take care of them. Not like, you know, a a glorification. It it definitely did not feel like that. Whereas Empire Records feels like a glorification of like counterculture of like being weird um, and mask. And that just masks like a bunch of really toxic behavior that ends up, you know, my, my notes about this were, uh, Basketball Diaries and Kids are 90s movies, mm-hmm. whereas like Empire Records is a Gen X movie. Yeah. Um, and Kids is a movie that's about the subjects that it, that are on film in the movie. Basketball Diaries is more about like the audience that's watching the movie. Like a lot of the the topics kind of explored in Basketball Diaries like kind of really expose uh, the social mores of the generation at the time of the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Empire Records is just a fucking soundtrack that wants to be a movie, pretty much. But like, a- <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that you bring up the soundtrack to Empire Records because, like, the actual like published um, like soundtrack like for the movie, it has songs on it that weren't in the movie, and it has it does not have songs on it that were in the movie, which always is infuriating to me Mm, it happened mm -hmm. with romeo and juliet too or romeo plus juliet yeah um uh talk talk show host by radiohead was not on that soundtrack if i'm remembering correctly yeah i'm looking at the soundtrack section on the wikipedia page for empire records and it's like soundtrack and it's like 16 songs and then Mm -hmm. other songs and that's like uh, 25 songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie had a fucking lot of songs. It really did. It pretty much was a musical. I would say Empire Records is almost basically a musical. Yeah, I completely forgot that aspect of it. That, But there's never not a song happening in the entire... Um, in the entire movie. There's never a moment where there's no song happening which makes sense because like it's in a Take, record store takes place in a record store yeah yeah so um, they list talk show hosts on the um on the soundtrack but it, i don't think it was ever actually on the re- the released soundtrack which is weird hmm. anyway that's that'll be another year that'll be <laughs> dude can't wait yeah what year is that i love that movie 1996 oh 96 okay so yeah. here's the thing is i think some at some point in this season one of of a uh, weird spanning time we're gonna have to do kind of shout outs to the book ending years around 95 because there's some fucking good movies that came out in 96 yeah um that would have been fun to compare like for example um <laughs> Dead Presidents uh, would would have been really good to do a Set It Off. Mm, but Set mm-hmm. It Off came out in 96, I believe. Yeah. Thematically, like I think that the two years kind of just like rolled into each other. Right. You know? 
and yeah maybe that maybe that becomes maybe it moves from just being one year to maybe we just like kind of span the years so to speak span the time not a bad idea um so hilariously we have pretty much danced around uh basketball diaries this entire time should we (laughs) have we (laughs) We want to dig in yeah we really haven't talked about it hardly at all okay um Partly because it's pretty brutal, you know? It's yeah, like... I really, I, uh, it was a hard one too. I would say that, uh, kids really felt like, well, it's, you know, Larry Clark's a photographer, right? First and foremost. And mm-hmm. kids was his yep. first feature film. Uh, and that's kind of right. like, I didn't, I didn't realize that till after I saw the movie and did a little bit of research. And I was like, oh, this makes sense because these are like all these sort of like, living tableaus right in the way that this everything shot and lit and and featured and and composed on screen um basketball diaries is so much more of like a film as you would think of it and so much more of a 90s movie um it felt very much like a 90s movie just the trappings the lighting the the filters and and all that sort of stuff but um, so this is your first time watching this movie as well, huh? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Can when we did, just like really quickly shout out Juliet Lewis in Basketball Diaries, playing basically the exact same character that she plays in Yellow Jacket? It's just oh, like, I haven't seen Yellow Jacket. What is that? What is that? It's a show um, that takes place now but it is also half told through flashbacks um christina ricci is also in it and it is a story about a all-girl soccer team who is in a gnarly plane crash and they spend 18 months in the forest and nobody knows what really happened um and it pretty much definitely like tells you in the beginning so like literally the first shot so this is not a spoiler but that like these girls devolved into like maybe a cult and also definitely some cannibalism that sounds fucking cool yeah it's i loved it like some people didn't like it and they were like it's too campy whatever but i thought it was absolutely fantastic Mm. and uh, it's told from the perspective of like these ladies who are adults now um and they're like flashbacking to when they're doing their lord of the flies thing yeah exactly exactly cool um yeah it's really stellar so highly recommend but yeah juliet lewis coming in hot but yeah so this movie i literally watched right before recording today um okay right it was wild it was a wild ride (laughs) (laughs) yeah Sure was. I took a lot of notes. Uh, you want to see the crazy? I don't know if you can see it in this light. My handwriting is so bad, especially if I'm like not paying attention. You're um, like just blurry enough that I can't actually see it. Okay, I'm sorry. Just just know that uh, my handwriting is really horrible. But I took a, uh, a lot of notes about Basketball Diaries. Um, yeah. Hit me. Let's Leo. talk about them. Uh, I thought it was a good movie. I don't know. Do we need to say anything more besides that? Pretty good. <laughs> Probably. 
it was a good movie. <laughs> it was, um, I don't know, Trevin, like after I uh, got done watching it, he walked past me. He's like, are you done? Is it finished? How do you feel? And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, it's like fucked up. But like, that's what happens <laughs> yeah. when you start doing heroin. Like, unfortunately, I'm pretty desensitized to that life yeah between like you know the broader friend group in san diego yeah and my mom's own shit like right you know this is what this is this is your brain on drugs you know psa yeah i thought they they really nailed down uh i didn't necessarily hang out with like extremely drugged out people um, like as it's portrayed in, in basketball diaries, but I mean, you definitely, I live in New York city, I, I lived in San Francisco forever. Um, just like they really nailed it down. Just the, the lifestyle and the body language and the way you talk and just the misery of being trapped in that lifestyle. It's just like so gnarly, the desperation. Yeah. yeah the like day to day grief and desperation. You know, and I think like a hundred percent and, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio was an unbelievable youth actor, like just unbelievable, like his willingness to just like get into a role. And uh, yeah, dude was like 19 when he filmed this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like fucking nuts. He did so good. It was crazy. Um, And like, you know, the the way that his like life was spiraling and like it really did take all of his friends getting like popped. And then Mm -hmm. that moment where he sees you know, his one friend that stayed in school on TV for playing like the all the all star high school basketball game. Yeah. I think that that's the moment where friend. you're like, yeah, Neutron. I think that's the moment in the movie where you're like, oh, OK, he's 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 going to get clean. Like it's not going to happen at first and it's not going to happen immediately, yeah. but he is going to get clean. Um. And, you know, of course, obviously the film is being narrated by him in the in the first person. So you're told that he's well and recounting what happened, but it's never um, there's no excessive exposition besides the narration, you know, like, which I think is really interesting. And it's something that's kind of you know, been lost a little bit in the last like 10 years. Like there's a lot of unnecessary exposition that happens in movies and TV now. Um, you know, like they, they, that something flipped, some switch got flipped and the idea of showing, not telling kind of fell by the wayside. Um, I thought like, you know, from a cinema, cinematography, cinematographic, is that the word? Cinematography? Uh, yeah, cinematographics. Um, uh, yeah, we're getting there. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. So from a filming perspective, uh, uh-huh. the way that they 
um, the way that they showed the time while he was detoxing in his friend's house, the basketball player's house. Um, It was really fascinating because it, it showed passage of time, but what it was actually showing is that no time was passing. Mm -hmm. And like, particularly the, the shoot where he's sitting and he's trying, he's like, Pretty much, he's not dope sick anymore. He's obviously still going through withdrawals, but he's not dope sick anymore. And he's trying to write. And he's realizing, like, he's having this realization that he is convinced he can't be creative without getting loaded. And so Mm. he goes crazy and, like, starts tearing up the room and looking for any kind of money he can get his hands on so that he can go get high. And they the way that it's filmed suggests that this is over the course of like a significant period of time, but there's this like subtle detail as the camera comes around where the candles haven't changed. And every time the camera comes around, he's in a different frustrated position, but the candles haven't gone down any on the, on the bookshelf. And oh, I sincerely, yeah, I didn't catch that. I sincerely doubt that that was a continuity error. I think that that was sort of a mechanism to to really reinforce this idea that in his mind he had been sitting there for fucking ever. But the reality of the situation is he barely made it twenty minutes. Yeah. Yeah, there is like a a stuck timelessness in that whole scene. I mean, it's literally circling around and around, right? The camera is just like right. going around and around in the room and it's very disorienting, but also um, claustrophobic sort of way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good thing. I, that's a good point that you make. I, I didn't notice that. Um, yeah, I love when he's like sort of compressed in between the mattresses of the bed and just like shivering, fucking white lipped, drooling. It's very visceral the way that they make him up and the way that he, he portrays what it's like to, to kick. It's like yeah, so gnarly. It's, it, it's certainly more compelling than when they did it in train spotting. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think so. Um, because like when he does it in train spotting, I mean, it's more artful, but, mm-hmm. and he's kind of all alone. Right. Right. Uh, whereas, like, I think that it's made so much more poignant in Basketball Diaries because he's with his his friend Reggie, who's like a local neighborhood guy, uh, played by right. Ernie Hudson. Um, and I like Ernie Hudson just does such a good job of just being like he is present, um, right? But he's also kind of disgusted by. Um, you know, Jim by how Jim is acting and how Jim is just like drooling and spitting and probably like pissing himself and uh, just is like nasty and screaming and, and horrible. I thought right. that was like, uh, yeah, just like super poignant. Uh, Ernie Hudson obviously is like an amazing actor. Um, not yeah. not enough of him in uh, in Ghostbusters, I would say. Absolutely but um and I think that, like, I don't know. I think I kind of liked that scene better than 
the other super gnarly scene, which is where, uh, you know, Jim is like trying to break into his mother's house. And there's that like insane sequence where he's just like reaching through the door and she's just just on the other side of the door and she won't let him in and she's kind of going back and forth like she wants to touch him and wants to touch his hand but like can't let him in can't let him inside even like back into her life at all and it's like so crazy poignant uh when she's on the phone with the police but she's also still pulling money out of her wallet um, which just really illustrates what it must feel like to be a parent uh, and probably specifically a mother kind of in that in that role where you're like i need like for the good of both of us i need to cut you off but also like i can't because you're my son at the same time right yeah the moment when he's like when he's like mommy please just let me in i promise i'll be a good boy and she just like fucking like wordlessly breaks down that was like such an such like a a well well acted and well filmed scene yeah I think the only thing and this is going to come up a lot wherever there's like cops present in films, but like the, one of the few things that I found the most unrealistic was the response time of the New York city police department <laughs> in New York in whenever this movie supposed to fucking take place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Them just coming like immediately. Like, yeah. And then, like, showing up, arresting the bad guy, and then just leaving? Like, come on. Yeah, The sense of urgency was highly unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, Yeah, I liked uh, Lorraine Bracco's performance. I thought that... I did think that the Ernie Hudson scene with, with, uh, with Jim was better or more like I could grab onto it. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that the Lorraine Bracco performance was really good, but I think it was almost subdued. And I probably I would like maybe blame that on the director just being like, yeah, you can't go like full blown overboard emotional because I mean, it is your son. Like you would be kind of pissed off at the same time and you would have boundaries, you know, and it is like a New York parent at the same time. So maybe it is really good the way that she played it. It's very fucking sophisticated performance. Um, it is a very sophisticated have, performance. Yeah, I'm still going to have to like unpack it because she it's not like she completely falls apart and not like she's completely like emotional and crying and screaming. She's very upset and she is crying a bit, but and it's very hard for her, but it is more subdued and it's almost a more subdued um, performance than like the Ernie Hudson performance. Um, well, yeah, because Ernie Hudson straight up knocks him around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, crazy details in both of these movies, I would say though, like both in kids and in basketball diaries Mm -hmm. that I really love, uh, that you don't really see in, in movies like empire records, for example, or in like a lot of, yeah, crummy movies that come out these days. Um, just like, I don't know where I was going with this. I've completely lost my fucking train of mind. I don't know. Um, you were talking about the details and I'm gonna guess I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that it has something to do with like filming locations possibly Um, oh I do want to circle back to that but oh no it's just when um, Jim and um, Reggie are wrestling around in the kitchen and then like Reggie's shirt gets untucked and then he has to tuck it back in he goes to tuck it back in he realizes like you know 
it's easier to just unbutton your pants to do it. And he unbuttons his pants right. to tuck his shirt back in. And Jim is just like, I'm not going to fucking suck your dick. And it's just like, I love fucking little tiny details like that. I really think that those, those things are what makes a movie good. And I think that's kind of going back to showing, not telling, which is what you're saying right. previously. I love these sort right. of like, um, subconscious details that like a well a well intentioned movie maker puts in into their pieces well you know and i think that you know it's in in that particular scene i think even slightly more overlooked than than that is the moment like there's like a moment of realization that he has in what was what jim just said to him and like it takes him a second and then it clicks mm-hmm. and then he's mm-hmm. like, okay, but motherfucker, like look at yourself in the mirror. Like I wouldn't even want you to suck my dick. Like right. look at yourself. Like right. the fuck is wrong with you? You know, it's like not even like, you know, it, there's like, there's a, sh- there's like a, a disgust with the implication. And then there's like this, like, oh no, this boy's fucked up. Like this kid, some there's some shit here. And like, you know, it's never explicitly said, but it is very much suggested that that basketball coach did more than just that one time of trying to get with him in Mm. the, in the locker room, because there's a moment in the very beginning when he's getting paddled Mm -hmm. by the priest where he's like, he calls them all molesters or something. He says like, like he, it, it might've been a derogatory term used, but like the insinuation that the priests took liberties was yeah. there at the fucking very beginning. Like the first fucking oh, yeah. thing that Jim says. Right. And so like, you know, there is this, like, there is this implication of molestation of like that vulnerability creating part like s- creating a significant amount of this like need for self-medication that's just exasperated mm-hmm. by his like best friend dying yeah i mean there's there's this sort of like rampant yeah with the coach the, i definitely you feel this menacing sexual intent towards jim mm-hmm. immediately yeah. and i think even yeah even before he approaches him in the shower um, or even before he, I mean, the first time he kind of approaches him, he's like, yeah, we should get together. Like we'll get a pizza. We can kind of go over the schools together that you should be applying for. Like you want to do college ball. Right. And Leo's like, I don't know. I'm pretty busy. Um, That's kind of the the first sort of implicit sexual advance from, from Swifty, the coach. Right. But, I think even early on when they're sitting around signing the basketball for uh, Bobby mm-hmm. and and Swifty walks up and they're like, uh, he's like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, OK, this guy this fucking pervert over here. You can kind of see the wariness and especially uh, in, in Leonardo DiCaprio's like how he's um, responding to Swifty's presence and his, his attitude. And yeah, it, it feels right. like you can already feel that something is up even before Swifty tries to like mm, plan a date <laughs> with Jim, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I certainly had friends from back in the day who got into drugs and like, you know, 
would share with me that like they can almost directly link it back to stuff exactly like that. Um, right. Which is really unfortunate. Yeah. That, that, that was another thing like I felt was very like kind of visceral for me because I was also a cute little boy growing up and like you do feel weird sexual energy like pointed towards you from people in like, you know, <laughs> in like, uh, places of authority for sure. I mean, you're a girl, you grow up, you're a cute girl, yeah. you grew up and I'm sure you had the same shit happen, the same experience, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I was definitely, I was definitely like pretty fortunate that like I never had to deal with any like fucking lecherous ass like men in like my youth or teens really. Um, you mean outside of the punk scene? <laughs> outside of, I said men. <laughs> Let's be <laughs> right. real. Uh, yeah, outside of the punk scene, um, you know, but like mine came more from like the outside world, you know, when I was a sophomore, junior in high school, I lived right off of the Elkhorn Boulevard, which is like a super main street, like super, super busy, but also like runs. It's like one of the longest s- streets in the county and a, it occupies a lot of different types of neighborhoods like mm-hmm. and this particular apartment that i lived in was on a particularly uh unsavory stretch you know yeah. it's not like that anymore there's like cool bars now and like people live what, there what, or whatever what block was it El Cajon and 35th that whole stretch was like not great um sketchy and more than one occasion i was either propositioned by men soliciting sex Mm -hmm. or i was propositioned by other sex workers who Mm -hmm. had been sent to just to talk to me by whomever they reported to to Mm -hmm. try to um like encourage me to join their profession you know Fuck. Yeah. yeah yeah like it, it and, and you know uh they like one of my most visceral memories of that time is like i literally had to hide in a gas station because this dude would not stop following me in his car right which is insane like that's insane you know And so, like, I didn't have to deal with it in my places of authority because, like, I, you know, just I either had, like, female teachers or I just avoided my male teachers because I didn't want to ever have to deal with that shit because, like, I heard about it. I knew what I knew what goes on. Like, yeah, fucking I know what goes on. People with there are sick people who work in education and yeah but anyway that whole- yeah that was going to be the thing the thing that i would bring up about el Cajon. i mean that's the thing that everyone brings up right growing up in that in our generation was that uh, el Cajon boulevard is known for like yeah, the street walking sex workers like all yep. up and down that whole stretch yeah that's crazy yeah yeah. And like, I mean, I'm talking like six o'clock in the morning while I'm waiting for the city bus to go to school. 
Like, oh, yeah, for sure. It was not limited to when the sun went down. Oh, yeah. Even like yeah. when I was in my early 30s and I was like an Uber driver for a minute when I first moved back to San Diego. And I remember just kind of like waiting for a customer, waiting for a pickup in that neighborhood in a parking lot. And like two sex workers walked by. were just like, I was like, hi, good morning. And they were just like, oh, he's a police because I just, you know, I look like what I look like. <laughs> You know, just like clean cut white guy, like sitting in a Corolla uh, at 7 a.m., you know. Yep. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's still going on. It's still there. I mean, uh, like. I don't knock sex work at all. Like, that is not the point of the story. The point of the story <laughs> is the like fucking creepy 45 year old white dudes who felt like it was appropriate to follow a fucking 15 year old girl walking by herself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Straight guys are creepy for sure. Uh, (laughs) sure. The coach really reminded me of like, I don't know. There's just this way that (laughs) this weird thing I've noticed with like when, if, if a, and this maybe sounds like it doesn't make sense, but if a straight guy has a crush on another guy, he will just like hover around them in their vicinity, just kind of pleasurably soaking up their presence, but not really like understand what they're doing because they're straight and they don't understand (laughs) like that. They sort of have a crush on this other guy and they're just like Uh kind of like, uh, not leering, but like, what's a word for just like, I'm just hovering. Yeah, hovering like, is a good word. <laughs> being there for too long. It's very, hey, what are, very interesting. What are, what are you up to? What are you working on? Yeah, what do you oh, need? Oh. So, yeah, I had this oh. coworker, one of my more recent jobs, who would just like, it's like, I, I was like, oh, you just want to spend time with me. You're just like standing around waiting, waiting for me. And I was like, bro, we don't really have anything to talk about and we're not working on anything together. And you're just like, kind of like, you know, you're just here. Loitering loitering i'm honored (laughs) so yeah guys are kind of creepy and uh don't even know what's going on inside of their own gross brains yeah yep i would i would argue that Uh, that's pretty true there seemed to be a weird uh theme that i noticed in kids and basketball diaries where uh there's like uh, homosexuality is for like youthful times, like when you're young, you're homosexual. And when you're an adult is when you're straight. I noticed like there's, I mean, there's so much, there's so many homoerotic elements to both kids and basketball diaries. Um, and, And I noticed like, and even when they would play at heterosexual, um, tasks or like whatever, like experimentation, it always seemed like, they didn't really care about um, having sex with women. Like Telly, for example, always fucks with his eyes closed as though he's Uh like thinking of something else. Uh Um, And basketball diaries, like, I don't think anyone, I mean, I mean, I guess they like hooked up with girls, but like when um, Jim is with Winky and Blinky, he like seems very uncomfortable, certainly much more uncomfortable than if he were to be like naked with his friends like on a basketball court right. in the rain. Right. Um, sort of like interesting. And I don't know if like that's just, was that like a zeitgeisty sort of theme? 
was that like a subconscious thing that was going on in our culture? Like, oh, like it's, you know, gayness is for youthful, youthful boys. And then, but when you're supposed to grow, you're supposed to grow up, you have to put all that away. Um, I think that there is this idea that, you know, boys can, you know, like rough house and like wrestle and like be naked around each other. And like, there's no problem with that. Um, because it's just, you know, it's just guys stuff. Like they're just being guys. Like it's like real natural for boys to like wrestle and be naked around each other. Like, um, and they're like, you know, the whole having sex with a woman thing, like making you a man is just like, kind of like a trope, I think, you know, like it's just kind of like that sort of like, leftover hyper masculine sort of like like coming of age story i'll make you a man sort of trope uh yeah i did think it's like a conquest and it's and it's like (laughs) i do this to make myself feel better about myself or i finally accomplished this yeah yeah it's like a rite of passage but my my true uh, form of intimacy is with my friends Right. 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 And that's the thing is, is that like intimacy amongst like stereotypical 1990s males, that's like a dirty word. Right. They weren't intimate. They were just friends. Mm. They were just guys doing guy stuff. Right. Like the idea of like intimate male relationships is that is like that's that was like zeitgeist. That was like taboo like you wouldn't call hanging out with the guys having an intimate male relationship or like you know right that's just hanging out with the guys and because the there was like this very interesting you know juxtaposition of the moment where they're all like skateboarding in the park and like two queer people mm. walk through the park holding hands and it devolves from all of the dudes like roughhousing and like whatever to them all shouting homophobic slurs at them. And then immediately off the cuff of that experience, they beat the living shit out of another person all yeah. together as like a yeah. group, you know, yeah. like pack mentality kicked in. Well, that yeah, it's like they go from they're all topless and cuddling in that right. scene, right? It's a bunch of guys who are naked and cuddling. They're like hanging then, around. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're all just sitting like skin to skin, uh, t- 25 yeah. of them. And then they are gay bashing a couple that walks yep. by. And yep. then it's just like in order, like the fruition of getting that weird circuitous sexual energy out of their system is that they have to like almost kill someone. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think that it is really interesting, too, that, like, you know, Telly only wants to have sex with prepubescent girls and, Mm. like, talks, like, really openly about, like, fantasizing about doing anal. And then, Mm. like, is, like, so vocally, you know, 
homophobic, but also mm. has like HIV. It's like possibly. Right. right? Yeah. That's never actually confirmed in the film. It's like suggested, but then like, you know, it's just like this. Is it supposed to be irony? Is it supposed to suggest that actually Telly's gay and that like he's been closeted this whole time? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what is that? What is that like? What is that desire to be so like vocally cis? Like, what is that? Like, what's that about? You know, because like that is that is one of the main aspects of the film is that these like boys are very much trying to assert their like cis heteronormative behavior. Right. But like they devolve into like not that very rapidly, like just like (laughs) fucking wagging their dicks around literally. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. And yeah. like Telly and Casper just like love each other is really what it comes down to, right? Like right. Casper just like loves Telly. Right. Uh, and we'll just go along with him. Like no matter what Telly says, Casper's like, yeah, yeah. And even there's certain points where Casper's like, yeah, huh. Yeah, man, I can kind of see what you mean by that. Like he's because Telly is too crazy at times. Right, right. Um, and I think Casper just loves Telly so much that he just is willing. Also, Casper drinks like seven forties throughout the course of the whole movie. So Casper's just like extra fucked uh, up. Just out of his fucking mind. Yeah. Um, also, I, like so many forties were drunk in both of those movies in basketball mm-hmm. diaries. And it's like, it, it reminded me, I like literally haven't, fucking even touched a 40 since i was like 17 years old but oh really oh my god we drink so many of them and i don't understand why like it's not good no it's fucking nasty it doesn't make any sense like i remember trying to order 40s from someone that was like over 21 and they're like i'm gonna get you a 12 pack because a you can divide it up better with your friends and they stay colder longer and it's not like that nasty shit at the bottom of a glass 40. I think I liked a, I liked forties because you could hide it under your hoodie when you're walking around the streets. Did you ever yeah. do that trick? Of course. Yeah. Uh, I did a, yes, yes, definitely. But like, we also, uh, I think that they were cheap and because they were mm-hmm. like malted beverage, not just yeah. fucking beer that they like got you more fucked up for less. And I think that that was definitely like an impetus to the 40. I also think that there was like, particularly in San Diego and maybe also in New York, like there was this like urban vibe of a fucking 40. Like, Oh yeah. Like right. beastie boys talk about forties, like right. fucking, you know, Ugh, sublime talks about like 40s <laughs> and weed you know that's that is the God. only way that you could say sublime is with that like sort of disgruntled exhortation breathy yeah, exhortation just the worst the fucking worst i got um, but you know I t- like did i tell you i did I tell you about my theory that uh beastie boys is just like new york sublime 
pretty much. Sublime for New York. <laughs> oh my God, no, absolutely not. There's no, because the Beastie Boys are actually listenable. Sublime is trash. Have you Sublime actually tried to listen to Sublime at all? No, no, not no. when they're no. together still. Like, no. But like, I came up with this, this Beastie Boys is is uh, East Coast Sublime from some New Yorkers that I was working with from like native NYC people. What put, did they? That, what, that okay. what was their argument? What was their argument? You know, I don't know if it <laughs> wasn't like a, an argument, but it was. I think I think the guy was trying to relate to me because he knew I was from San Diego, and so he assumed that I'm a Sublime guy because uh, San Diego fuck? truly is a fucking ride or die forever Sublime town. So I gross. would say. <laughs> I fucking hate that so much. <laughs> it's true. Could do an entire fucking podcast about how much I hate Sublime. If it recorded everything I said after I froze, you'll get to go back and listen to it. <laughs> well, we were devolving into a, a we hate San Diego. Mm-hmm. Our mis- misspent youths were a little rough. Not as rough um, as these movies, but though. Now we're doing great. Not as rough as these. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> mm, yeah, I would say my. My life was somewhere in between kids and Empire Records is what I would say my my 20s were somewhere in between there. I would say that my teens hints of both. Yeah, I would say that my teens were and I'm talking like 12, 13 because you because you have to understand before you and I were friends before we even Mm. knew each other, me and Erica were like wild. Like we had already yeah. been wilding out for years by the time I, we started hanging out with everybody else. And you guys just know each other from Spring Valley. Yeah. Is that right? That's where, yeah, that's where we you went to middle up, school right? together. Mm. Um, and by seventh grade, like we were fucking wilding out. And so I think like we met all of the like Grossmont crew like sometime toward the end of our eighth grade year jesus yeah Yeah. oh interesting so like there was like a lot of kids that i was like yeah this is highly relatable like the fucking taking Mm -hmm. the train all the way downtown to see if you could find your friends and then calling somebody on a payphone to see if somebody was home to see if they knew where somebody was (laughs) Yeah. Like the the breaking into swimming pools. Like, oh, that pool is near my house. And I went to that gym just the other day, actually. I was super excited. Yeah. Um, I do love that a lot of this, a lot of kids does take place like in kind of lower Manhattan. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And and also in basketball diaries, when they swipe the car, they drive past stomp. That was like a, a really funny thing about basketball diaries is that it was very much a movie out of Uh time. Like it's written from the perspective of like a baby boomer. So these guys would have been like Uh sixties, early sixties, mid sixties. Um, it was very much a nineties movie, more of a nineties movie than kids is. Cause I mean, I guess kids like everyone is dressed very nineties. It's like hardcore skate culture, hardcore, like hip hop culture. But like, 
Basketball Diaries has all the trappings of a 90s movie. I think I mentioned before. But it's supposed to be this kind of, sort of like mid-century druggy story. Right. But but also we were having the sort of same drug ep- epidemics in the 90s uh, in, in America. So I guess it felt sort of cyclical. So I guess it was appropriate in that sense. But yes, it was funny that uh, they drove past Stomp in Basketball Diaries what is at that? one point. <laughs> Stomp is a uh, a fucking oh, musical. Yes, at the Orpheum Theater, I want to say, which is on Second Avenue and St. Yep. Mark's Place. Yeah, Second Avenue and St. Mark's. And Stomp was fun. I fucking saw a touring production of Stomp. I'm like getting animated for the first time in this whole podcast. Uh, I saw a touring production of Stomp. Uh, my mom took me to. Back then, back in the 90s at that time. And it was great. It's just people like, you know, stomping around. Trash can lids and shit, right? Yeah. Totally. Boots. Got got them combat boots, got them cargo pants. Flannels tied around the waist kind of vibe. Uh yeah. 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 No, I I I I definitely, definitely like like realized it. The one thing, okay, so the one thing in kids that definitely felt unrealistic was the idea that there was just like a rave club. Like, Mm -hmm. was that actually like a thing for youths in the 90s in New York? Because like by the end of the 90s, by like 98, 99, 2000, the idea of like going to a club for youths in San Diego was like, we could barely find a place that had all ages shows. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, we had a good amount of them. We had Showcase, we had Soma, and those places f- sort of felt like that. I mean, that was just like the r- electronic dance music rave scene version of what we yeah, went to. Yeah um more i think more druggy like more like club you know, kid. what would be called yeah. molly yeah club kid shit yeah exactly and i guess we just didn't really if there was a club kid scene in san diego i was not aware of it there was i i was definitely not aware of it i don't know where it happened it must have been like very yeah. underground i would imagine i don't even know who to ask because we hung out with like rocker right. kids raver joe would be the person uh, to ask. Rafer Joe would Remember be him? the person to ask. Yeah, he would know about um, it. Speaking of Joes, weren't you telling me that one of your friends' dad might have been involved in the Basketball Diaries in some way? Yeah, that's right. My friend Joe, my friend Joe's dad. Oh, we were talking about it last night. I saw the, I saw him for dinner, actually. He's in town. And um, he was saying that his dad went to the same high school as Jim no Carroll. shit. And, and yeah, I don't think they were friends. I, I I misheard that from a different friend, but um, like I was like, oh, which one? Which one is it? But yeah, I think they went to high school or grew up in the same neighborhood. And Joe was saying that his dad related that yeah, just so many people from that time didn't survive. Just they just fell prey to the drug epidemic. Was the song then. "All the People Who Died"? Do you think that that was? Uh, written for that movie or do you think that that was fit into the storyline because there is a um, there is a line in that song that they play right after it's I think Sam dies and it's the line is and Sam was 17 and he had leukemia and he died oh people who died that's that's 
a Jim Carroll oh. song. That's a Jim okay, Carroll band. Okay, so that was intentionally, yeah. that was about this. Yeah. So. There are like a half dozen songs on the soundtrack that are by Jim hmm. Carroll. Fascinating. Yeah. And he was in the movie too. He was like that, you know, creepy skinny guy uh, who helps Jim oh, shoot up. Oh, the blonde one the, that's the, like telling the story about yeah. being in church and how he loves a ritual. Yeah, pretty much. I'm sure that I'm pretty sure that was Jim Carroll. Yeah, I was like, this one is like those. such like a weird philosophical moment that I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. that okay, that tracks now. Um, one thing I have to say yeah. is like how much I appreciate like your overall preparedness and like knowing like actors and their character names because I'm like so fucking bad at that that like one of us has to be good at it otherwise this would be just a podcast of us going you know that that one <laughs> that one character with the shirt um, um yeah I don't know I I am really excited about this project. And I really fucking love movies. Um, and so, yeah, I'm somehow able to read a lot of the stuff and like really absorb the information. Um, you know, not doing such a great uh, job at my my day job <laughs> these days. You know, I'm still kind of fucking up. The, but, you know, that's all right. That's fine. That's just kind of how it is. That is how that's it fine. is. Um, still getting paid. Haven't fired <laughs> me yet probably won't because nobody wants to work according to the media remember nobody wants to work yeah yeah jesus christ let's i think also my job is so annoying and difficult that at this point they're like he's halfway decent and like you know and he's really willing he's willing to get in there yeah there you go i think i think that counts for a lot um so overall how do we grade these movies? What do we what do we think of them? Well, I've got my rating system. Did you make up your own arbitrary rating system by chance? I mean, I didn't formally, but like I can definitely, okay. you know, m- make some shit up on the cuff. Okay. Hit me so with yours. Let me yeah. just tell you what I you know, I came up with a scale <laughs> scale between 1 and Great. 500. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 500, and I rated for enjoyability, veracity, transportational strength. Like, were you transported into this movie or out of wherever it was that mm-hmm. you're watching it? Would you watch it again? Does it accomplish its purpose? Like, whatever you think the movie is trying to do, did it accomplish that? Um, and did it have a sense of setting in the world? I just kind of made all that shit up. I don't know if any of that makes no, those sense are really, or feels impactful too. Those are too. much more um, earnest categories than what I was expecting. Um, like they're really yeah, thoughtful. That's, that's me, earnest. You're oh, welcome. thank you, thank you. So, let's, um, is it that time? Do you want to do? Are we into the yeah, rating let's, section let's of fucking the podcast? Rate them. Let's do it. Cool. Let's rate these guys. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll go first to give an example. Um, what what movie do you want to do first? Okay, oh, should do we first? do them in order of gnarliness, or should we do them in order of like release date? Should we do them? Oh dear! I know. 
I th- I think I want to do Empire Records last because I'm gonna have shit I'm gonna, on it a little bit. I'm gonna do <laughs> I'm gonna do some some pooping on Empire Records All for right. sure. So let's go most compelling to uh, least compelling. How about that? Oh, okay. Mm, I'm just gonna go for. Uh, I'm gonna just gonna do Basketball Diaries first. That's what I would have picked as well. Basketball Diaries, directed by Scott Calvert, written by Bob Goluboff, uh, and based by, on a novel by Jim Carroll. Obviously, we know Jim Carroll's like you know a long successful poet and uh, musician. Um, enjoyability, four hundred out of five hundred. I would say it was fucking enjoyable. I like that movie. I'm gonna give it. I'm going to give it a cool 375 because where you were doing the thing with kids, like tapping it to be like, oh, my God, how much more of this is there? I was absolutely doing that. I was like, how much further can this movie possibly spiral? Like, I cannot. It is already so dark. Like we've got more to go. And of course it was the him getting clean and then getting loaded again and then having to go through like a dude dying and his mom fucking calling the cops on him. Like, of course, you know, Mm because I was like, there can't be like a 27 minute, like there's not going to be like a 27 minute, like redemption scene. So I was like, fuck. So yeah, cool. 375. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, luckily the redemption did last like 90 seconds or whatever. Like luckily it was just like a little bit because yeah, I don't think I could go through like a long, like doing good rehab thing. And, and, and he did need to relapse. I think for the structure, for the structure of the narrative, he did need to relapse obviously. Although it would have been nice, but it could, it, it's so disappointing when he runs out on, on Reggie. Yeah. And cause because it it's such a poignant scene between them and and they they work so well as actors right. together. Um, I, like I said, I think before, I, I I think they work better than than um, Leo and Lorraine uh, Bracco yeah. work together. So so it is that much more poignant uh, when he runs away and relapses and like oh man that fucking scene when he's with Juliet when he bumps into Juliet Lewis she's on the clean. street and like she's she's clean and she looks fucking great. And like, he looks like yep. a piece of shit and like, she just, he just gets his like just desserts because of even, even before he was a junkie, he treated right. her like shit. Um, yeah, that was, that was good. Uh, I, okay. So we'll, we'll get to that, but okay. So ver- veracity, I guess true truthiness, truthfulness, uh, four sixty nine. I gave it. What do you think? Um, it's hard because it's a 90s right. movie. So you're like certain aspects of it. Like my my thing was like being a fucking drug addict and living that drunk junkie street life felt very right. real from as I've uh, experienced it. Like so sub- like objectively. Yeah. yeah, I will second your 469. Yeah, that's okay. good. That's cool. that because it's not it wasn't <laughs> like so honest that, you know, I was like, man, this this really happened like it very much still had based on a true story vibes you know like there was obviously some right. dramatization there was obviously some glamorization at points like and not glamorous in terms of like old hollywood but like you know there were these moments with the like flowers running through the flower scene and like you mm-hmm. know so there was definitely like 
some truthfulness there for sure. This happened to someone, but Mm. was it quite this like, was it quite as raw as what was portrayed? Like, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also an adaptation that's always really difficult. Right. right? And it's a because you have like story too, right? Like it's like, he's retelling a story that happened to him through mm-hmm. these writings that he did while he was getting loaded. So like, could we argue that he's an unreliable narrator? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Especially like, uh, it felt especially unreliable when Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg is in this I, movie. How surprising no, was that? Once I realized <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? At first I thought yeah. it was fucking, um, not Matt Damon. The other one. Ben Affleck. Oh, ben, At first, uh, I thought it was Ben Affleck. Ben yeah. Affleck. Sure, sure. Well, um, uh, the director mm-hmm. Scott Calvert, I believe he was a big music video guy. Let me look this up one more time. Um, yeah, he was a big old music uh, director for Cyndi Lauper, Snoop Dogg, Jazzy DJ, Jazzy Jeff, and the Fresh Prince, Bobby Brown, and Marky Mark, uh, Marky Mark, and the Funky Bunch. So that's probably where he came from. I don't know. I don't it, it did make me very like uh curious about uh Mark Wahlberg's just where he comes from and like his whole career trajectory. I'm not interested in looking it up right now, is, but it did make me more curious. In the vernacular of the youth, is he a Nepo baby? I, oh, I don't know. Well, I truly don't if know. If his mom or dad has a blue line under their name on Wikipedia, I'm fucking doing it. Um, Okay, that's fine. Let's do it. I'll race you. I'll fucking race you. You'll probably do it better because my fucking brain isn't working. It's because we've been podcasting for two hours. All right, let's see. Uh, Former stage name, Mackie Mack. Early life, Dorchester, Boston. Actor, his siblings are got blue name right. blue lines under their name but no his mom was a bank clerk and his dad was a delivery yeah. driver yeah so just like classic kind of blue collar yep. folk oh I have a really um funny story about mark Wahlberg. i'll just tell it and then maybe i'll bleep it out or I'll just okay. cut it out uh <laughs> I, not because we're going to be famous podcasters, and also, well, I don't know. I guess I could get sued for. Oh my libel, god, but, he's like um, a fucking racist. Yes, I mean he's from Boston. Like a piece of shit teenager doing like nasty, nasty oh, shit. Gross. Oh, I see yeah. this. Yeah, and then he does rap. That's awful. Get the fuck. Get the right? fuck out of here. All right. Anyway, can tell your story. Uh yeah, remember when I had that? Yeah, we probably do have to cut it out because um, he seems litigious. That's libelous. Yeah, it's pretty legit. Yeah, exactly. Right. So ramp ramp. We'll cut it out. Be in the B roll yeah. that we release only to the um <laughs> to the Patreon subscribers. That's right. Yeah, behind yep. the paywall. Uh, and then I noticed around the same time that he like 
came out with some like mag- some dumb magazine did a puff piece on like how big of a family guy oh, he yeah. is like directly after like a right around that time okay glad we glad we got that figured out uh where was i um mark Wahlberg. oh i thought yes so we were saying that um I thought that the scene when Mark Wahlberg throws the guy off the roof or accidentally pushes uh-huh. the guy off the roof, I was like, oh, this this sounds kind of fake. This th- this seems unreliable. Uh, sort of like, oh, you have the ability to kind of re- like maybe, I don't know, maybe Jim Carroll was more involved and just because uh, his friend went down for it was able to put it in his book and put it in his movie. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. Yep. There's got to be some, it's got to be some, he portrays himself as just being like, no, I never wanted to. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. Like I wasn't but, even fucking you know. here. Don't pin this on me. Yeah. But exactly. he was literally, I guess he like, by staying on the roof, he like avoided, you know, fucking getting popped by the cops or whatever. But you would think again, unreliable narration being like, <laughs> if a fucking guy just fell off of a roof you would think that you would go up on the roof and see you some would. shit, right? Like you just check the cop. The cop would go would. in the fucking building. Yeah. Like, how the hell did he get out of the building to go to his mom's house? You know what I mean? Like, right? I don't know. So, whatever. I mean, we're giving it four sixty nine. Like, it's not a five hundred. You know. Totally. That's right. Okay, transportational yeah. strength. Like, did it transport you into the movie? I said 483. Mm, that's pretty high. That's pretty high. Uh, I'm, I don't think I want to ever go. I don't think I want to go back and, and edit edit my my numbers. But I could maybe with some more forth or more thought, give it like a lower score. Maybe maybe in the, maybe a hundred lower. Maybe like the upper. Yeah, upper I could 300s. say. I would say like definitely more than half. Like you know. Like mm-hmm. 250 is like kind of, you know, does the job, but hasn't like really done much. The only part of it for me that just didn't really do the transporting was when they were in the like drug den. Like that had mm-hmm. too, it felt too much like we I was watching a play. You know, like okay. that felt like a yeah. set piece. And I don't yeah. know if that was intentional. Uh, it, it, there was some different, like, sort of, they did use some different camera angles when they were in that space. Um, and I think they used, like, a little bit of different filtering and different lighting when they were in that space. Oh, God. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's like, it's like it, it would get me in. And then something would pull me back out again. So I would say mm-hmm. probably yeah. like, like I'm going to give it like a, like a three fifteen. Yeah. Three fifteen. Yeah. I'm changing. I am going to change mine to three eighty three. Yeah. Cause like four fifty and above that's like, I'm engrossed. You know, yeah, and time, right. time. Yeah. I'm so engrossed that time has like disappeared. You know, mm-hmm. and like, I think you're right. I, it's just like I was able to like work on something while I was watching the movie, and I was also like able to like, and I kept doing the thing where I was checking to see how fucking much longer that this was going on for, and I think that that is 
like, you know, it's a testament to how gnarly the subject matter was, but it's also like there were the way that things like broke and who knows if this was an editing thing or if it was like just, you know, a filming thing, but there was a lot of, there were a lot of moments, although I will say one of the things at the very, very beginning that I was a hundred percent sure was going to happen and was like, I even like fast forwarded 30 seconds because I was so sure it was going to happen. Uh, and I didn't <laughs> uh, want to watch it was when they were all jumping off the cliff into the river. I was a hundred percent convinced that the, like the like dopey little kid that was also in um, hook uh, that he was going to eat shit and oh, die. Shit. That's the that's the kid from yes. Hook. Yeah, because he's so yeah. short. He's so and short. I, like, right? for sure thought like he was gonna under jump and like crack his head open on the fucking cliff and die. Like I was like, oh my god, that's the kid from Hook. Jesus yeah. Christ, you yeah. got me. Fucking yep. got me. Yeah, you know, gritty, dr- <laughs> gritty drug drama to happy go lucky. Um, fucking never never land in a matter of years well what I was don't first know. james Mario. let me look it up i do quick. not know oh hook was 91 Holy shit yeah so you know he really took those never neverland acting chops and turned it into something pretty incredible i mean that moment you know what yeah that moment when he like pops out of the fucking alleyway right before Jim is about to go inside the theater. Yeah. Just like, you know, it was good. He did a good job. He did a really good job. Yeah, Uh, for sure. Uh, He was also in kick-ass and also in (laughs) single, single white female too. the colon, the psycho direct video. Yeah. So that's fun. He's yeah, doing good. He's doing great. Whatever this fool really? works. Does TV? Nice. Yeah. Does TV? Does video games? That's where it's at. Voice acting, man. Dude, hell yeah. Making those big, big bucks. And he was very, uh, yeah, he's very memorable in Hook. Okay. So would you watch it again? Basketball Diaries? Probably not. That's going to, yeah, okay. that's going to be a no for me, dog. So like a zero? Yeah. I think that's like a big old goose egg. Yeah, I can't. I I can't. Like, I just, (laughs) I saw it. I get to say that I saw it. I don't need to watch youths ruining their lives. I don't need to watch, like, snot just flowing down Leonardo DiCaprio's (sighs) face. Like, you know, he was an incredible actor in his youth absolutely fucking absolutely. fantastic no doubt about yeah. it um give that fool the oscar whatever i don't but like i'm never gonna watch that movie again and it's not because it wasn't good okay. it's just because i just did it i did it and i don't need to do it again yeah did you see uh this boy's life i did not which is a movie that came out like just before yeah um, 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 uh, 93 okay. and it's also kind of gnarly it's gnarly but it's like he 
uh he's like robert um fuck i we have robert de niro's stepson robert de niro marries his mom and it's like this crazy like weird movie that takes place in the 50s and then robert de niro is like a weird abusive father yeah biographical coming of age drama okay we gotta wrap this up because my brain is just like literally falling apart okay. at this point but we did good though yeah. two hours over two hours it's okay all right let's does it does this does this movie accomplish its purpose i think so yes i think so too i i, I did 492 yeah. pretty pretty good pretty yeah i would there. say like i would i would argue that yeah it's like not perfect of course so 492 is a good a good score for it um okay yeah yeah it's you're gonna go for yeah 40, I'll, I'll match match 492. yeah well. that's a good that's a good okay. good number cool uh sense of setting in the world uh i gave it like kind of a low score 335 just because it had good setting it had great um production like design uh staging um you know location management it's all fucking good but like i couldn't tell when this movie took place yeah like it felt very 90s it felt very 60s or 50s yep. 50s really is how it felt so I kind of took particularly off the 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 moments where they're like taking the ferry to Staten Island, the the burgers, mm-hmm. the burger shop, you know, mm-hmm. like it very much was like, you know, out of t- an out of time sort of moment where like, would yeah. you wear a sweater vest like that? <laughs> right. At yeah. that age, at that time, like, no. So. Yeah, it's sort of like anachronistic. Like they're kind of dressed like kids from the 50s. They're driving around in cars like that are from the early 70s. It's a little, yeah. a little fucked up. Yeah. So uh, give me your give me your number so we can move. I'm going to give it a 267. Nice. Um, I took the total of the score, my numbers, and I divided it by... Juliet Lewis appearances, <laughs> and I got a total of uh, 851. So, right. for what it's okay. worth, uh, yeah. Okay, let's Sounds move on good. to kids. Out of wait, sorry, 851 uh, out of out of nothing. That was okay. just a number. I don't Great. know. It's just an arbitrary Fantastic. number. Yep. Yeah. Kids. Um. <clears throat> Kids, director Larry, Larry Clark, written by Harmony Corrine. Um, enjoyability, 200. I did not enjoy yeah, this movie. I did, really did not I either. I can't, can't say I liked it. I'm going to give it like it. a 173, like honestly. Uh, fair. Just, yeah. it kind of hurt to watch. Yeah, it was real yeah. painful. Um, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful movie. I mean, I like, I like to go to... Uh, the photography museum that's right down the street you know i do like the i like i like the visual art but uh, just too yeah. painful yeah overall um veracity guess i gave it a 495 because i'm like well this is just real as fuck these are like not even actors these are it's a scripted movie it's not uh, allegedly not improv at all but um felt pretty yeah, real to and me like that's kind of like harmony current's fucking deal right like fucking gummo yeah. was like almost entirely comprised of people who lived in that small town and then Chloe Sevigny, yeah. you know? And so like, yeah. definitely yeah. like, and I think we talked about this, the, the, the aspects of like 
in a movie, if it was just a movie, she would have gotten that vindication. But like it was fucking based on like some real shit. And like you would walk into that room, not know what to say, turn around and start crying. Like that's just like what would happen. Would. So, yeah, yeah um, it, I. Yeah. If you've been being victimized uh, mm-hmm. all day uh, by multiple people at just about every turn, you're being like shit on and victimized. Yeah. That, then <clears throat> no surprise if you are halfway twacked out on whatever yeah. that was. So yeah, I, I would say four ninety five, like pretty pretty good. Yeah. Cool. I'm recording your scores just Posterity. for. Uh, that's the word. That's that's what it is. Transportational strength. I give it a three eighty nine. I was kind of transported, but also I didn't like being transported into that world so sweaty so sweaty so i could i could smell the fucking boys yeah, armpits. I could, like i could, I could f- feel how hot it was like that like so like, hot uh, the, the the one of the first things i noticed in that opening scene was like how that girl's hair was like sticking to her arm because of how mm-hmm. fucking gross and sweaty that bedroom had to have been yeah yeah so like definitely that, transported that. Didn't want to be transported there, but like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to give it like, I'm going to give it like a 402. Um, okay. Cause like that yeah. scene in the fucking swimming pool, I was like there. I was like, Oh, I, I, yeah. I remember this. I know this. Yeah. yeah. I can like smell the chlorine. Yeah, for sure. Um, would you watch it again? No. Mm. I gave it a 250 just for like, uh, I guess. I'll give it like a I really 11. Okay. Because like I might watch it again without the sound just to like look at the cinematography. Because like mm, mm-hmm. the way it was shot and the way it was edited and like the color palette is pretty, pretty extraordinary. And like that is an mm-hmm. aesthetic that is like interesting to me. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, if I don't have to listen to fucking Leo Fitzpatrick's like bad acting, mouth full of teeth, mouth mouth just full of tongues Ugh, and teeth, God, and no. yeah, uh, yeah which, which that was like the most disturbing thing is like he's a, ter- a terrible actor. I think they even said like, why are you choosing this guy? Like he's ugly and he can't act. And he's like, yeah, he wouldn't. You know, he's the character's got to try harder because he's not like a good looking guy. He's like this scrawny little yeah, shit weasel. Absolutely a shit weasel. Yeah. Uh, I get 500 for accomplishing its purpose because I think I think it just did exactly what it wanted to do. It 100 percent did exactly what it intended to do. Yeah. Like, no doubt. Put you down for 500 as well. And sense of setting in the world. Same. I give it. Yeah, they fucking nailed that New York vibe. Yeah. That like New York in the 90s idea. Like, yeah. I mean, it was filmed in New York in the 90s. Like, there's no fucking posturing. Like, that's what it was. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I do at times like this. I do wish that I was still in contact with my ex girlfriend Catherine because she lived in New York and she lived in like Lower Manhattan. She oh, went to NYU shit. at this time. Yeah. Uh, like she's the same age as yeah. like all these people. Yeah, pretty much a little bit older. Yeah, she's in college. So uh, it would be interesting to get her take on just like the fucking menacing nature of the youth in new york oh at that God, time so menacing sounds fucking sounds fucking Truly. terrifying um so my total uh divided by how many 40s casper <laughs> drinks i got a score of 
That's a much so. lower score than the score for Basketball Diaries. And we gave categorically higher scores to... You know, I wouldn't have been a massage therapist if I were good at math. Real. So we don't I do don't math know. on purpose. Uh, that's uh, that's canon, yeah. everybody. We do not do math on purpose. Not on purpose. Um, well, uh, I divided... Uh, I think there's only three Juliet Lewis appearances in mm. Basketball Diaries, whereas Casper drinks uppers of 740s. There's so four. There are that's four Juliet Lewis's. Yeah, oh, is that absolutely. Because right? there's the doorstep one. There's mm-hmm. the uh, like when they first start getting loaded. There's like a <clears throat> there's like a scene. I'm pretty sure. Then there's the one where she's like, I want to know what you're on. Or maybe I just assumed mm. that the scene with the, like the toad, the big old toad man, and the scene where she's like, "I want to know what you're on," were different. But I swore there was a fourth one. Maybe you're right. Maybe there was only three. We'll stick with three. Stick we'll stick with three. With three. Um, so, yeah. So far, Basketball Diaries is, is winning. Okay, let's do good old uh, Empire <laughs> Records director Alan Moyle. <laughs> Written by Carol Heikinen. An ensemble cast, I guess you could say, of people who went on to do whatever. Rory Rory Cochran, probably my favorite actor in the whole bunch. Not that I loved Lucas. I didn't really like Lucas. I thought that he was, I don't think he was nearly as smart as everyone thought he was at the end of the movie. Um, But Rory Cochran's awesome. Uh, Enjoyability. Uh, I'm going to say 247. Oh, come on, man. That movie's entertaining as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'm going to change it to 347. Right. No, I'm going to change it to 323. Okay. 323. Okay. I'm going to say yeah. enjoyability like 600. No, absolutely not. I'm going to give it like a strong 415 because as I get older, it gets okay. less enjoyable um, because I'm smarter now and. and i know more about like class and capitalism and the systems that are used to oppress us and so like there are just like more things that come out of that movie where i'm just like right but you're still like a villain kind of like you're like the cool guy who wants to buy the record store but like you know, but also Joe like wasn't the worst. Like he's not like the worst member of the petite bourgeoisie that's ever existed. But like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't you. So as you're getting older, you start to have issues with Joe. Yeah, like a little, like just all of it. Like, you know the 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 fucking the fact that like he didn't he knew that fucking Renee Zellweger was in that copy room fucking that old Mm. ass dude and she was like what fucking 17 you know like exactly he didn't fucking stop it like Mm. i know that this is not the point of the fucking movie but like that's not cool you know (sighs) that's a good point um i do kind of view joe as like trying to do his best to be a mentor mentor of sorts and un- unwillingly yeah. 
uh, he does fail all the right. time, constantly. Right. Um, going back to like political aspects of this movie, I I really feel like there's this thing uh, back in the '90s and '80s of just like a sort of disdain for yeah, what you would call I think we called it earlier urban right. culture, which is a uh, low key disdain for right. black culture, stand in for yes. black culture. Um, and definitely in the character of Warren, I found to be a really strong example right. of that where Warren is sort of like wearing baggy clothes and he's like, has sort of like that inner city accent right. and, and is just like into guns and into robbing shit and like steals rap. Right. And, uh, I found, I thought that was kind of, I don't know. I hate that. You see that a lot. You see that a lot in like nineties music and in nineties film, uh, just kind of shitting on black culture, uh, in, in, in this example, in a very low key sort of like dog whistle. Yeah, sort of absolutely. Way. And like, you know, who the fuck cares if some fucking teenager is stealing CDs from a fucking music store, man? Like, who cares? Right. Like the whole yeah. premise of the film, whilst I still find it enjoyable, is at its center, a bunch of fucking kids trying to save a business that they don't own. You know, it is profiting right. off of the labor of others, you know, <laughs> still like, yeah, sure, it's right, not going to be a right. music town, but like, it's still like a fucking business. It's still like putting money in someone else's pockets. And also, like, there's just like this wild and I never picked up on it before this reading, but like the classism of the movie is like mm -hmm. so strong and it's so subtle. Like the moment when um, the fucking kid from the pizza store and AJ are sitting on the stairs and he's like, dude, do you know where Boston is? Like, do you know where Harvard is? And he's like, yeah, it's like in Massachusetts. <coughs> Excuse me. And he's like, no, it's in another world, man. Like it's a world mm -hmm. that you and I don't belong in. And it's like, oh, right, because Corey's like this beautiful, smart young woman who's like effectively slumming it. She is, you right. know, she is the song um, fucking common people like she is the song common people. I want to live like common people. Right. You know, she's like doing fucking calculus and like biology dating like the art kid or like. You know, she's happy to be like everybody's fantasy or whatever. And like no shame. Like I'm not throwing shame on her character as like mm -hmm. a, a, a representation of, of a womanhood. I'm throwing shade on her character as a representation of upper class people wanting to know what it's like to be poor. You know, right. because like she's like like. I'm assuming like are we expected to think that this like is like a like small town in the northeast or is this like a small town in the midwest like I don't know but yeah oh who, yeah who fucking knows I mean driving distance to Atlantic City I, I, is it yeah. like who knows Jersey I don't even know yeah is that where Atlantic, yeah, City, Atlantic is? City is I truly is have no New idea Jersey. so tri-state yeah. area Harvard is a big yeah. deal right yeah. Um. So, uh, veracity 
uh, for this movie. I gave 112. Yeah. I'm going to go even lower and be like 57. Oh, okay. like the only part of this that is real is the fact that uh businesses profit from their employees and uh rich people want to pretend like they're poor sometimes yeah i mean you bring up a good point and there is that line where joe is talking to Mm -hmm. mitch who's the owner of the record store and he's like he's like i'll fucking buy you out and mitch is like you don't have the money and he's like i'll find it that's cool and you're like oh no like Joe, Joe is maybe a kind of scummy, moneyed person. I think like who's maybe kind of slummy. Yeah, too. I mean, I think like I think we're supposed to think that Joe is like a rundown, like wash up, like musician. Yeah. You know, like he's the contrast to Rex Manning, right? He's the real one. He's the real one. I got you. And that's why Jane comes back and is like, do you want to have a drink? And why Joe's like, because Lucas is actually the one that's like, he'll find it. Or he's like, yeah, I do. And like, Joe's like, I don't, but like, I'll figure it out. You know, like, I think we're supposed to understand Joe to be like this, like, you know, blue collar ex-musician guy who really just cares about the community and really just wants this like place to exist right but, like come on <laughs> okay transportational strength i gave this a 419 because yeah. i was fucking transported into this I was movie in that fucking record store i was fucking in there as much as it was insane and hectic and like so spazzy yeah. like nothing lasted more than 45 seconds um all the mosh pit scenes were fucking right. stupid as as much as i thought so much of this movie is fucking yeah. dumb uh it was entertaining and once it got past mark is my least favorite character in this in this movie <laughs> like fucking get out of here uh he, he's that that he's a trope he's a trope from movies of that era so yeah. i get it but he's also supposed to be the youngest uh, one in the group. Right. I get that. I get that. And he's supposed to be stoned right. all the time. But um, I, as soon as I got more serious and more fo- focused more on Deb and like her conflicts with Gina and Corey, like there was a certain part where like it fucking gained momentum for me and I was drawn yeah. in and I enjoyed yeah. it. Uh, so yeah, four ni- transportational strength 419. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll say just shy of I will give it like a, I'm going to give this a solid 469. 469. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, for sure. Because like, yeah, there are just these moments like G- when Gina's like, I want to be a singer in a band and I don't have the courage to ever audition. And then she's like singing like sugar high at the very end i'm like in that moment mm-hmm. i still am in that moment i find that to be so fucking relatable and like as embarrassing as it is to say and there will likely be lots of embarrassing things that get said on this podcast like that scene still gives me goosebumps because like that feeling of doing something that you're so fucking scared to do and like it being so joyful is like very relatable like yeah you know yeah. uh 
Fun fact: the that guy, Bur- the yeah. guy who played Burko, he's Coyote who Shivers. Guitar. Yeah, he's Coyote Shivers, who was Liv Tyler's stepdad at the that's time. That's fucked up. <laughs> that's. I think that's how she got into the movie. I believe. Incredible. In- I know. Incredible. Wild, huh? That is a fun fact. So I would watch this again. I would give it a 300 score for watch again because I'm not going to say like, no, never. I would rather watch this in, in kids, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would probably rather watch Basketball Diaries. But I don't know if this were on TV. If this were on TV, that's a kind of an outdated yeah. thing to say. I would definitely be like, sure. Like if I were in a hotel room in like Peoria, yeah. Illinois, um, so, so, and this is so on and I was flipping between... <laughs> yeah, flipping between this and like Desperado, I would definitely just yeah be back and forth. I would I would still come I would come back to Empire yeah. Records. I mean, it's one of those movies that like when you're like when I'm home alone and I'm just like what what do I want to watch? Like what's some dumb thing I want to watch? <laughs> and I go on Amazon and yeah. they're like you might like this and I'm like you know what you're fucking right I would like this. So it's like not ever like a, I'm going to watch Empire Records. But like when I see it and it's like the right moment, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch that. And so like, I think that that puts it probably like steadily in like the 375 category for me. It's like, I'll put it on, but I won't seek it out. Right. Totally. Maybe on a plane. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fucking 100% on a plane. Um. Does it accomplish its purpose? I gave it a 475. Yeah, it's a dumb movie about 24 hours in the lives of some semi-dramatic teenagers trying to save a record store. Yeah. Like they yeah. save the fucking record store, you know? Yeah, it does. I mean, in as much as it's probably meant to showcase all these dumb teen actors right. and ultimate also kind of meant to showcase the soundtrack. Right. And it was a horrendous flop. Was it? Apparently, like, I don't think he even made in the millions. No shit. I think it did really poorly. Oh, I um, lost it. Oh, maybe it's here. Rory Cochran? There you are. Um, we can look it up real quick. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't do well. It's a cult hit, of course. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of these... Major losses, yeah. Um... Okay, it was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, actual Atlantic City. So it's supposed to take place in right. North Carolina, I guess. Like, that's the town that they filmed in. Yeah, it's one of those kind of logistically impossible things where you can't really drive to Atlantic City from North Carolina and back. You I mean, really you can. can. Fuck, I don't... I. Is mm-hmm. that true? I mean, I live on the East Coast and I, and I drive everywhere and I truly don't understand the geography here. Yeah, it, you can. Pencil, Pennsylvania is very it's confusing like to me. right there. For example. I know, it's just so weird. Oh, box office, $303,000. Oh my God. United States. I don't know what worldwide was, but I'd be willing to bet it's like nothing. $10 million budget. So yeah, they really shit the bed with this one. That's absolutely fucking wild. Yeah, that's really bad. And um, what was really interesting is that I believe the director, or maybe no, the the executive producer at the studio um, got handed a script for a movie called Clueless, 
uh, which we're also going to cover this yes. season. And he's like, he, he's like, bruh, I'm good. I've already got a badass teen movie on my hands, so I don't really want to do two. Yeah. Oh, imagine how much different Clueless might have turned out. Yeah, maybe it would have been a giant piece of shit like this movie. <laughs> it is not a giant piece of shit. It's not. It's not. You know, it just sounded funny in my head, so Fair. I just had to say it. Um, accomplishes its purpose. So, what'd you say? I said 475. Oh, I said, like, yeah, like, let's go with 475. That sounds great. Cool. Great. Okay. Uh, my total divided by instances of naked women in music town <laughs> aprons came out to three, three eighty eight. Okay. So I don't know. Not that it's even possible to compare, but three eighty eight beats kids totally trounced by basketball diaries. I mean, that kind of tracks as far as like whether or not we would actually yeah. like, you know, the thing about Basketball Diaries is that it's a very good movie. It's just like really difficult to watch. Mm-hmm. Empire Records is a pretty shitty plot, but it's a fun movie. Like it's fun, mm. which is like those are like yeah. the kind of two criteria of films, right? Like it's either so good and so beautiful that it's a good film or it's like kind of shitty and dumb, but it's really entertaining. So like it's a good film, like it's good, right? Like Kids yeah. is sort of that middle ground where like the story hurts, the fucking like plot line is like difficult very much. The acting is like not great. It's fucked up that Rosario Dawson is in that. Like that's insane. She's so She's good. probably the best actor in the film. Like Oh, I just I thought everyone was good except for the main characters, the the two like diametrically opposed characters yeah. of Telly and Jenny, like Leo Fitzpatrick. I've never liked him when anytime I see him, I'm like, it's Telly. Also, yeah. you suck. Um, and Chloe Sevigny, uh, I don't know. I don't I didn't think she was very good either. She fucking like her bad acting fucked up scenes and made it took me out right. of the film. Um and at one point, I'm, in certain respects, I'm like, what, what does it mean that these are such bad actors? Because these both these actors were second choices. I think they had cast other people originally. And I think her the person who's supposed to be Jenny got fired. And the guy who's supposed to be Telly, I don't know, like ended up in jail or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought the fucking girl in the opening scene was great, like right yeah. off the bat. Um, she was super good. I thought everyone was good. Harold, uh, can't remember his last name. Um, Harold something or other. He's, he's dead now. Uh, anyways, the Harold Hunter as Harold, uh, the one guy who flaps his oh, dick yeah, at the yeah, pool. Yeah. I thought he was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. They're all like good actors, especially like none of them were people who are, are trained as actors right. at all. I mean, I would just say, like, it makes sense that kids is at the bottom. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. Well, thank you. Long reasons. story short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. But I think, like, yeah, we, this is, this is like, um, it was really interesting to watch all of them together, basically. And, like, 
to like look at these three different facets of how teenage life in the 90s was interpreted and projected Mm -hmm. you know yeah because they're different projections and they're different interpretations but like they kind of do make like a vision of a whole sort of experience in a way right absolutely yeah it was like with empire records you have what we think teenagers Mm -hmm. are uh kids was what teenagers are actually are basketball diaries are like what parents are afraid teenagers are going to turn into right yeah exactly cool well all right we spanned spanned (laughs) some time we spanned some fucking we sure did my wife is like what the fuck it's been two and a half hours there was a technical Um, difficulty that took up like 15 minutes there was um well can you so when this ends it sends me only oh i guess we should have a sign off what is our sign off oh yeah thanks for listening that is worse band. <laughs> okay well we gotta sort this out uh yeah thank you for listening rate review and subscribe that's what the people say yeah, right um, I think so. this has been episode one of we're spanning time next episode is city of lost children and 12 Hell monkeys yeah we got ourselves a little I'm international stoked. vibe happening very yeah. excited Hell yeah. Um, It's going to be really good. Yeah. Yeah. If you like us, feel free to leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts and uh, tune in for our next episode. This is Beth. This. this And we were spanning time. Bye. Bye.